This is The Guardian. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to health care, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. We're in Birmingham for the Conservative Party conference where the cracks are well and truly starting to show. I know the plan put forward only 10 year, uh, days ago has caused a little turbulence. I get it. I get it. On Monday, the Chancellor announced a dramatic U-turn on the 45p top rate of income tax amid signs of a revolt from backbench MPs. Now all eyes are on the new Prime Minister, Liz Truss. Frankly, the 45p wasn't a priority policy. And I listen to people, and I think there's, there's absolutely no shame in a leader listening to people and responding. And it seems like she's facing another rebellion over increasing benefits in line with inflation. Can she hold things steady, or has she lost all credibility as her economic plans fall apart? I'm John Harris, and you're listening to Politics Weekly UK for The Guardian. All right, John. Before we head into the fray, yes, we're in Birmingham. We are for the Conservative Party conference, and what are we expecting? Well, I think what we're expecting is almost the polar opposite of what we found at the Labour Party conference last week. They were very together, full of this new confidence that you know they were in with a very, very, very serious chance of being the next government. It was quite an impressive sort of convincing occasion, and now we arrive here. And the Conservative Party's in a state of complete meltdown. The Prime Minister's authority seems to be ebbing away. And they're sort of staring defeat in the face. So we're in, we're in the absolute opposite universe from where we were last week. Which makes it more interesting, right? This is the one I've been looking forward to, weirdly. It's like going to a zoo and all the animals have escaped. <laughs> We've just got here into the heart of the conference. This isn't the dead zone that you might have read about in some quarters of the media. There are a lot of people here. And there's a lot of MPs, actually. Straight away, I start feeling sort of slightly anxious. Oh, look, there's someone we know. Can I ask you one question while you're here? Come on, please. You were great in the podcast. I'm going to flatter you to try and get you to talk to me. Yeah, I know, but I'm immune to flattery. I just wonder how you feel in the in the midst of the last three days and so on, given especially that you back the other guy. Onwards and upwards. Uh, and are you, what, do you think the Conservative Party can turn around a, a, the poll deficit it's faced with at the moment? Definitely. OK, wow, well, there you are. There's another bit of um, unconvincing Conservative optimism. That was Andrew Mitchell, the MP for Sutton Coalfield, not far from here. 
onwards and upwards. Ha ha. Right, now I'm here with Robert Halfin, the Conservative MP for Harlow, who, in my experience, always has interesting things to say about the state of the Conservative Party and conservatism. Robert, let me ask you about something which is very much in the political foreground right now. Liz Truss has not ruled out a real-terms cut to benefits, contrary to what the Johnson government seemed to pledge. How, how do you feel about that? Well... I think that uh, the government have got to keep their pledge of the, the previous Prime Minister made, Boris Johnson, and also the previous Chancellor, Rishi Sunak, is to increase benefits in line with inflation. Because, you know, are we going to be the party that supports the lowest earners? It's great that the government are giving up to £1,200 to the most vulnerable families, but the fact is, those on benefits, many of them who are in work, about two million of them on universal credit, um, they struggle every, every, every day. It's not just energy prices, it's food prices, it's petrol prices, it's uh, every single thing. Uh, inflation, cost of living has gone up, up, up. And so it, the government at least have to ensure that they increase benefits in line with, with inflation. You've got a fight on your hands there, though, haven't you, potentially? That could, be, that could be almost as big an issue as the 45p tax rate was. Well, let's see. We had a cabinet minister come out today in support of it, the leader of the House of Commons, Penny Mordaunt. Um, many people are, uh, believe that we need to be a compassionate, concerted government. And I think that um, I'm hopeful that the government will listen. OK. What about um, spending cuts? Because that, again, is something else in the air, the idea that, that there will be uh, £18 billion potentially of real-term spending cuts. There are Conservative politicians uh, at, at conference who are talking about the fact there is still fat to be cut from local government. I know there isn't. You presumably would agree with that. So that's, that's another potential uh, issue at stake here, which people like you are going to have to fight on, isn't it? Well, I think it depends on what public spending cuts. So she's talked about efficiency measures. I'd like to know what they are. In the face just to make them... Yeah, I'd like to know what they are. What I, what I want to ensure is that uh, in terms of essential public services, particularly education, which I care about deeply, and skills because of my role as chairman of uh, the House of Commons Education Committee, core services like education, they must protect the budget. I did speak to the Chancellor last week in a meeting with MPs. He said they were going to maintain the spending plans of the previous government. Yeah, but that means real terms cuts because of the level of inflation and interest rates for that matter. I mean, the financial position of the public sector is dire now. We all know we've just been through 12 years of austerity uh, to the point that it's very hard to see where further cuts would fall. And unless more money is put into, into public services, people are going to be left in a spot. Well, as I say, it depends what uh, they're going to cut out in the, in the public where service. Could you, where could, on, could, let me ask you that no, question. Because well, where I, could you well, they're the ones who are saying there should be the efficiency savings, not me. I first met you, I think, at the launch many years ago, at least 10 years ago, of a conservative group called Renewal, which seemed to want to pull the Conservative Party away from sort of classically small state Thatcherite thinking to a different kind of place, right? And that's why you've been one of the most interesting conservative politicians to follow over the last nine or ten years, because that seems to be the direction you would like the party to go in. So I wonder, how did you feel seeing exactly that sort of small state Thatcherite approach come roaring back in the form of Liz Trust? That isn't the sort of conservatism that Theresa May and Boris Johnson talked about. Well, first of all, 
I, I take issue with you because I don't think actually Thatcher, this was Thatcher, right? Thatcher put, did a windfall tax. Thatcher okay. put up taxes. I always felt that Thatcher... But, I mean, sort, that sort of yeah, suppl- that wrong. kind of supply-side yeah, deregulate yeah, kind of... I'm call it libertarian, okay. but I wouldn't call it Thatcher. Okay. Right. Call, I felt, call it I felt, libertarian and resume. I felt Thatcher spoke okay, for workers, right? Okay. My dream has been that we would be the party for workers, and that's what I've tried to do every single day almost since I've been Member of Parliament. Osborne and, uh, did a lot in terms of the national living wage, for example, which, don't forget, Tories had opposed in the past uh, for many years. That was a big, big reform for Tories to do. Um, and also supporting apprenticeships. Um, I, that's why I say uh, I believe in the trickle-up theory, not the trickle-down theory, because I believe that you build social capital, you support working people, you invest in skills and apprenticeships. Um, and so I hope very much that uh, the last few days has shown that actually the party is not libertarian, the, go- the country doesn't want uh, kind of arch libertarian policies what they want are policies uh, to help uh, working people that doesn't mean i don't believe in capitalism i do but i want fair capitalism um, and so sometimes you have to correct capitalism where where it may not be working as a conservative member of parliament to see the party in this sort of divided chaotic state how does that feel particularly it's, it's less than three years since the Conservative Party gave the Labour Party a historic drubbing and won an 80-seat majority, and here we are. And, 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 the, and the Conservative Party seems to be in a state of disarray. Well, it reminds me of the King Lear play, which happens to be my favourite uh, play. It's about, all about tragedy, of course, but it's all, he says, I think he says at the end, the wheel has come, King Lear, the wheel has come full circle, and that's where we seem to be at the moment. It is um, grim, it feels a bit grim, um, however, I don't believe that conser- uh, pessimism is a luxury that any conservative can allow himself. I think that uh, hopefully the last few days will shake uh, things up, the government will listen and return to the kind of workers' c- conservatism that both Cameron did, in my view, in, not in everything but in something, and also Boris. Because whatever went wrong with, with Boris Johnson, he, un- he would never have done this sort of thing. And so he, What sort of thing? Um, announced that we're going to give 50,000 quid to millionaires and 2 billion to hedge fund managers so they can short the market. It just wouldn't have happened under Boris Johnson, I don't believe. So I think that um, this will have shaken things up. The government know the mood of the parliamentary party. That's why they reversed the decision because the mood of the parliamentary was saying, no, this wasn't the right way. And hopefully they will return to workers' concerns. But I do believe that if they start going on about you know, get uh, the affordable housing, apprenticeships and skills, dealing with crime and antisocial uh, behaviours, they start going on those nuts and bolts issues and place as much emphasis on building society as they do the economy, um, I think actually there is a chance that people may come back to us. But you worry about that, especially in a seat like yours. I mean, your seat traditionally has been thought of as very marginal. And it's exactly the the sort of seat where... Where redistributing money from people who are struggling to people at the top will not play well at all. So, of course, because when you're 25% in the bidding polls, you don't sort of get out the uh, uh, um, the, the beer bottles to celebrate. Um, having said that, I'm actually glad the polls are like this because it gives us all, MP, MPs and government, a kick up the backside. And 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 because of what better way of showing uh, people that the public don't want. Uh, kind of arch libertarianism they just don't want it I had small businesses in my constituency of Harlow who would have benefited from all this stuff right 
saying they opposed it all. They opposed it because they just felt the sense that it was unfair. And so um, I think that I, there is, uh, I do believe they get back on track and uh, push blue collar workers' conservatism. Um, and I do believe it's still, I'm a conservative in cutting taxes, but I want us to focus it on the lower paid. I think we've got a fighting chance. So that we're outside something called the Think Tent. I hope they're thinking hard. Where there's, um, there's a big queue of people waiting to hear some or other conservative celebrity. Sorry to interrupt. Uh, we work for The Guardian for our sins, forgive us. And uh, we do the politics podcast. Are you are your Conservative Party members, are you? We'd be here if we were. Can I ask you a very quick question? How, how is it this year? What's the, how would you characterise the mood at this slightly strange conference? Oh, it's been great. We've it? loved it. We have loved it. Upbeat, marvellous, as every conference is for the Conservatives. E- even this one, when, as we know, the government's had such a torrid time of it. Absolutely. Yeah, and we're all backing the government. We all think it's marvellous. Politics is a wave action. Is a wave action? Yeah. Go on, up, explain up, what you mean. Up, down, up, down. Same, same with, um, you know, every party. And you're confident that the up wave is coming? Of course. And you'd like Liz Truss to remain as the Prime Minister? Absolutely, back at 100%. Did you vote for her? Did you vote for I her? did indeed. Both of you. And, and then once somebody is the leader, you support the leader. Do you think her party is supporting her? Sorry? Are the members of her party, are they supporting well, her? Well, MPs as well is a big question, whether enough MPs are supporting Yes, of course she does. She's, 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 she's been the leader a few weeks. And, and the press just, just wants to diss her down. Oh, isn't, she, oh, isn't it terrible? Are you going to get a new leader after, after a month? No. Twelve of those days have been a constitutional crisis, so it's not really giving her a, a chance, is it? You don't you, worry about you. It didn't register, or you, you didn't feel, whoa, what's going on here when the markets crashed and suddenly the Conservative Party was Market 20. Hasn't crashed. Has well, crashed. The pound's, the pound's been well, on something of a worldwide. Descent. It was worldwide. Every market crashed. Every market. That's people trying to fan a flame. So, so you've got the Great Fire of London. All right, what about people not being able to pay the mortgages suddenly because interest rates are shooting what, up? What, in two days? Well, no, but there is an issue there, isn't there? For people are very worried. Particularly those who are coming off a fixed rate mortgage. There are hundreds of thousands of people who are very worried. You're talking to somebody. Political issue. You, you're talking to somebody who paid 15% interest rate years ago, yeah, yeah, not two, three, and four percent. Can I can I tell you? There are. A, I was talking to a mortgage advisor who we both know, a friend of ours. There are thousands of mortgage products at three percent fixed and four percent variable. And this idea that somebody had a mortgage offer rescinded at ten and a half, and then went to ten and a half percent, is absolute fiction. Okay. It didn't happen. Last question: Who are you waiting to see? Lord Frost. Okay. You like, and you like Lord Frost's approach to things as a rule? Do you? I think it's a sensible man. It's what we need. And interesting to hear what he's got to Always say. Interesting, yeah. Very good. Great. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you so much for your time. Enjoy the meeting. Thanks a lot. Not many delegates around, are there? I don't know whether they have delegates at these things. I think you're either an exhibitor or you're just somebody who comes from the, a local party somewhere. I don't know what they call them. But they're not many of them, are they? they're. Members, Everyone we meet are people that work oh, here. But it's an odd sort of. I don't know what the word is. This sort of circularity to it. They just put on an event for everybody who works at the event. <laughs> <laughs> There's no audience. It's like a band playing to itself. <laughs>
party member. Okay. So my name is Jacqueline Foster. I'm Baroness Foster of Oxton, and I sit in the House of Lords. How does it feel having been in the midst of this very strange last three days and the government having got itself in the mess that it's got itself in? How's that been for you? So I think I, where I agree is, of course it was a distraction, and it's not really what you want to do, not when you've made a big announcement like that. But it happened, and we then, it's happened, it's been decisive, it's been quick, um, the Kwasi Kwarteng explained it yesterday, explained what was going to happen, and then we've got to move on from there. So we can keep harping on about it, but I can't see the point. So as members of the party, and I'm very close to the ground with the members of the party, they are very supportive of the Prime Minister. We've got to now get cracking because we've got a lot of challenges. We've still got Russia, we've still got Ukraine, um, we've still got the energy markets which we have no control over the prices. That's still going on and we know what we've got coming up for winter. Okay. And how do you feel about the next election when it comes? The Conservatives are going to lose, am, aren't they? I am always an optimist. We are going to win the next election because we'll have the sound policies. We'll have taken this country through some of the most difficult times over the last few years that we've really done probably since since I would say the 70s and I remember the the winters of discontent and all of those things thank Thank you very very much much. indeed lovely to meet you it starts the same way can I tell you a secret It would start off with a random girl and just say, hey, hun, I'm going to tell you some secret now. Please don't mention it to anybody. But it quickly escalates. It just spread like a wildfire. I still sleep with clubs next to my bed. I didn't know how far this was going to go. People seldom show their true selves online, but one man, he's taken it much further. I was terrified. Who is the cyberstalker behind these messages? He actually said to me, good luck proving it's me. And why is he sending them? Because he became more and more isolated, he just went within himself even further. Do you punish someone for acting out whatever is going on in their mind that we don't understand? And if I could just turn back the clock? From The Guardian, I'm showing Tyler. And this is Can I Tell You a Secret? A story about obsession, fear, and the lives we lead online. Listen to all episodes now. Search for Can I Tell You a Secret? wherever you get your podcasts and hit subscribe. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST.
I'm now joined by The Guardian's deputy political editor, Jess Elgott, and Ryan Shorthouse, former Conservative advisor and director of the think tank Bright Blue. Hello to you both. Hello. Hello. Um, let's talk, first of all, about the sort of mood, the atmosphere at this conference in the midst of this very, very strange political moment. Uh, Ryan, first of all, you must have been to lots and lots of these things. This is quite strange, isn't it? It is. I must say, we do loads of fringe events, so I've just been running around, uh, so it's, it's felt quite frantic. Uh, but when I have spoken to people, I think you know, there's a sense of we need to give Liz Truss a go. Uh, that's the sort of vibe that a lot of activists uh, are saying to me. But obviously, at the more sort of politician level, parliamentarians, there's concern about some of the mishaps and the U-turns that are now happening. So there's a little bit of a mismatch, I think, between the activists and the MPs. I've spoken to, small sample, but yeah. Well, almost as if the members are almost sort of defiant. Because the consensus out here is that, you know, the Conservative Party has committed an enormous act of political self-harm. And it's now staring defeat in the face. But the activists are almost like, well, we, you know, we don't quite believe that. Yeah, I'm, and I mean, we'll give her, the, we'll give this leader who seems to have committed this huge mistake, we'll give her the benefit of the doubt. I think and that's that's where they are. They're, they are very defiant. They were very defiant about Boris Johnson. They didn't want him to step down as leader when the uh, MPs said, actually, now is time to go. So there is a little bit of a mismatch there. But I certainly agree with you amongst parliamentarians. There's not sort of despair, but there's concern that it feels a bit amateurish. Anger in, in some cases. It's not just concern, is it? There are, there are some MPs, some of whom are here, who are very, very brassed off with how things have gone. Is there sort of, this is joyous and we're welcoming what, what she's doing? No. But it's interesting, for example, Penny Mordaunt uh, today, who's obviously a very senior member of the Cabinet, uh, has said that actually benefits should rise in line with inflation. I suppose what it's indicative of, not least we can get onto the policy in a bit, but the politics of it is that you know Penny Mordaunt feels that she can come out as a senior cabinet minister in that government and say, this is what I think. That's quite indicative, I think, of the lack of sort of harmony uh, within the parliamentary party. So in that sense, Jess, a lot of things are up in the air here. This is quite a sort of loose, disordered sort of political environment, isn't it? Um, you know, sort of even at like the Jeremy Corbyn conferences, like, I've never been at a place where there is just so much direct opposition to the direction that the Chancellor and the Prime Minister, you know, are taking the party, even from cabinet ministers, and how swiftly it always almost seems to move on to the next row as soon as the other, the, the last one has, has sort of barely been resolved. So the second that Liz Truss uh, U-turned on the 45p, MPs were already talking about the next fight, which is obviously welfare. But it's not just welfare where there's... Um, there's huge sort of disunity in the party. I mean, fracking, I mean, you've got people, ministers, openly saying on panels, well, this policy is never going to happen. And that was supposed to be like one of those sort of hallmarks of, of Liz Truss's new plan to create energy security. And it, it does feel like discipline has really broken down. I mean, we've had that before. We definitely had that in the sort of last year of Theresa May's cabinet, where, you know, cabinet responsibility was was definitely at breaking point And you definitely had that amongst MPs in the last days of Boris Johnson's premiership. But for, for, it, for her to lose this amount of political capital so quickly, you know, is really extraordinary. And I think a lot of that is because... She had a very small base within the party for the leadership election. Um, and when she won that leadership election, and not by the big majority that, that a lot of people were predicting, she didn't 
really bring anyone with her. You know, there wasn't much effort to sort of bring people in from other wings of the party. And for those, and amongst her supporters who've been out on the airways defending her and defending this policy, and many of whom believe it, but some of which were, who were clearly dubious and went out and defended it anyway, now they look like mugs. Okay, so uh, the first huge flashpoint, great political debacle, was over the 45p rate of tax. Overnight, and it's hard to keep up with this, overnight on Sunday into Monday morning, that policy was abandoned. Now we've got another flashpoint which is about whether or not the government will honour Rishi Sunak and Boris Johnson's pledge to increase benefits in line with September's rate of inflation. Now, as Ryan said a moment ago, Penny Morden has come out, I mean, she's a member of the Cabinet, and she said she is not in favour of, she's not in favour of, uh, of uh, abandoning that pledge, and that pledge must be honoured. Give us a sense of how that, both of you, give us a sense of how that issue is playing out, and also what that tells you about the sort of state of play, really. So, I mean, I think it's interesting because a lot of things that Liz Truss promised during the leadership, she's now advocating completely new policies. And I think that's where some of the discipline is falling down. MPs say, well, hang on a minute, you didn't say that during the leadership contest. Do you really have a democratic mandate for that? The real democratic mandate comes from the 2019 manifesto. So, you know, you should be keeping to that and delivering on that, particularly the promises around levelling up. That should be that should be the focus. That's big picture stuff. But on, on this question of uprating benefits specifically, where do you think that's going as a sort of as a? Flashpoint? I think it will go exactly the same way as the uh, cut in the additional uh, rate in tax. That there will be such opposition to it. Penny Morden at cabinet level, Ian Duncan Smith, I suspect Michael Gove uh, will come out very quickly. But to be honest, you know, this is this is a sign that the government has the wrong priorities. In the middle of a cost of living crisis, it said it's going to focus its tax breaks on higher earners, larger companies, whilst cutting benefits. Um, you know, I just I think it just it just completely shows the wrong signal. Yeah, it turns out she was interested in redistribution, just the wrong kind. Well, it's interesting because I think, you know, politically, what, what's behind this? It's to show a new Tory brand to kind of move beyond the sort of Johnsonian era and say, look, we're unashamedly about aspiration, supporting businesses, supporting higher earners. I just think it's tone deaf in the middle of a very profound cost of living crisis. I was in Basingstoke last week, which is a sort of reasonably stereotypical chunk of Middle England, where the sitting Conservative MP has a majority of 14,000. And, you know, that's a sort of, the people there, a lot of them are sort of core Tory voters. But I could sense that they really didn't like the idea that they were being ignored and passed over in favour of showering money on people at the top of the, top of the income scale because they're the people who can manage growth or get growth started. That's a really horrible sort of fingers down the blackboard message to send to your own voters, isn't it? I mean, that's what's happened. I think that's really fundamental. And I think one of the things I've just done a piece on today is that the mentality of the Conservative Party over benefits and welfare has totally shifted over the course of the last five years. And the other really critical thing is the intake of the 2019 Conservative MPs. The, the incomes of average of the Conservative constituencies from 2019 are 5% lower than Labour constituencies. So you've suddenly got a big chunk of Tory MPs who have loads of constituents who are on benefits and they want to win those constituencies again and they want to represent those people's interests. As well as, or in addition to then, this flashpoint over um, increasing benefits roughly in line with inflation, are there other things that you think are, all, are also in play and are being contested and argued about? 
I think that that's, this will become a running theme. The other really big flashpoint is, is, is fracking. Almost every Conservative MP, apart from people who are real zealots about it, will tell you they don't think it's going to happen. It's got no consent from Conservative MPs in those areas. And, you know, Robert Goodwill, who's the chair of the DEFRA committee, you know, just said on a fringe today that it's obviously not going to happen because Labour are going to win the next election. So if you put... if you know what company is going to invest in fracking in this country when the Labour government say they're going to pull the plug on it nobody so there's so much of her prospectus which just feels very dead in the water I want to ask you one thing a big picture question which is that if all of these things are being contested because um Conservative MPs beyond the leadership feel they suddenly have influence and power look you know they, they managed to get the 45p uh, rate withdrawn it looks like the same thing is going to happen on this idea about about not honouring the pledge on benefits, things are going to be very very bumpy from here on in, aren't they? In the sense that they can feel their they can feel their power now. Yeah. The government's writ doesn't run. Yeah, and every time there's a U-turn, the authority of the Prime Minister and the Chancellor uh, seeps away a little bit even more. Yes, her authority is being drained. But just on this point about benefits, which is you know at the end at the end of the day, the main flagship benefit now is universal credit. That's a Tory policy. Uh, and under-resourcing it just seems mad and bad for growth. You know, most people um, on low income spend the money that they have. Um, so taking away money from them uh, does not seem like a good thing to do for growth. Whereas, you know, people on higher earnings are more likely to save, give them a tax cut, they're more likely to save it rather than spend and cause growth. Jess, what's going to happen now in terms of, of Lidge Trust and quasi quieting for that matter, the, the, the entire government trying to somehow shore its position up and extract itself from this mess? What do you expect to happen in the next 24, 36 hours, week, however long it takes? You can find plenty of Tory MPs, usually late at night, who are prepared to say to you, it's done, it's, she's finished, how can we go on? Or people who just tell you that they're actively polishing their CVs and looking for other work. But the sort, I think some of the more kind of sensibly minded ones, or like less, you know, the less kind of excitable ones, will say, look, how on earth can the Conservative Party go through another leadership change? And um, the problem with deposing Boris Johnson for a lot of people who did was that there was no end game. They didn't know what the next step was and you know they 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 took a big risk and for a lot of them it didn't pay off. They got someone who they don't agree with. And people are definitely very scarred by that experience. Some of them are very concerned about the prospect of Boris Johnson returning. And so I think that that will probably stay the hand of people who, you know, looking at the pollies would think it's time for her to go. In terms of of uh, giving the impression that she's going to try and move on from this and that somehow she is a slightly different politician from, from the one she was about four days ago. What's she going to say? The thing, the thing that MPs have always liked about Liz Truss is she has this, she always tries to convey a sense of optimism. She always tries to kind of do the boosterism that Boris Johnson was very good at. I'm sure that's what you're going to see tomorrow from the Prime Minister, that, you know, Britain's best days are ahead, stay the course. And I think, you know, there is... There is a recognition for people in number 10 that the way they have sold this package was appalling, not only to the public, but to Conservative MPs who were totally blindsided by it. And, you know, I've heard a lot of administrations vow to have better relations with their MPs, but this one has really got to do it. When she makes a speech, what, what, the, the messages that will be designed to A, convince the party, B, convince the public that somehow they are starting to put this, this debacle behind them. A, can they do it? And B, as they try to do it, what are you expecting to hear? Well, I think she'll 
almost ignore the U-turns that have happened and say, actually, I'm doubling down on my strategy. This lady's not for turning. Of course, she has turned, but she'll sort of ignore that. It was a small blip, that was all. Um, Very uh, small blip, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, but it will be focused... Uh, very much on growth. Our best days ahead. Let's not listen to the declinists. We've got to go for gra- growth. The orthodoxy over the past few decades has been all about distribution. Not saying I agree with this, but we need to go for growth and unleash that. So in a couple of sentences each, what's going to happen? What's the shape of conservative politics looking ahead to Christmas? Well, I think it's like I said, like actually Liz Truss's first task is to win back, winning the party back. And then she can start thinking about winning the country back, which is a very, very, very difficult task. But if you've got MPs who have what one described to me as the loser brainworms, which the Labour Party had for quite a long time, where it's like, there's no point in doing anything because we're about to lose, it's very hard to shake that out of your head. And she needs to get her MPs back on side, you know, if she's going to have any chance at all of, of resetting the narrative. Alternatively, Ryan, this is it, right? I mean, this is just one of those moments where politics shifts and the opposition is erasing certainty to form the next government. That's what it feels like. It does feel like that, yeah. And I think they're going for broke, basically. They know that and they want to go for something very radically different. That's why what the, that's, what, uh, that's the strategy. I think what we're going to get is Boris boosterism, Mark II, going for growth, but with more traditional conservative policy levers. But it will be blind to... Uh, a lot of the suffering that people on low incomes face, but also increasing the suffering that people on middle incomes face, which are exactly the type of people who are voting for Tory. And in that sense, it's highly unlikely to work. I agree. Okay. right, on that note, we will finish. Thank you for joining us, Jess Elgott and Ryan Shorthouse. Thank you. So sitting here in my first moment of calm and quiet all day, I guess I'm really thinking two things. Firstly... I have no sense that the Conservative Party is about to calm down. And secondly, this does feel like we're in the middle of a great political sea change here. Things are turning fast. Anyway, uh, thank you for listening. I'm about to have three weeks off because I'm going off filming some new instalments of The Guardian's Anywhere But Westminster video series. So the host of the next few weeks will be Gabby Hinsliff. Politics Weekly will be back for another episode dissecting the Prime Minister's conference speech tomorrow. And this episode was produced by Frankie Toby. The music is by Axel Cacoutier and the executive producers are Maz Ebtahaj and Nicole Jackson. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hi, I'm Dori Shafrir. And I'm Kate Spencer. And we are the hosts of Forever 35. And today we're talking about Club Med, the best all-inclusive getaway for families. Today, Club Med has nearly 70 resorts worldwide, from beachside resorts in the Caribbean and Mexico, to magical locations in the Maldives and Morocco, to ski resorts in the mountains from Canada to the Alps. Between their all-inclusive family programming, wellness offerings, land and water sports, and their French heritage-inspired food and drink offerings, Club Med is the best way to elevate your family getaway, no matter which location you're at. 
To learn more, visit clubmed.us.